We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Did you ever have a conversation where you were so immersed that you didn't even realize how much time has passed? That's exactly what happened with my conversation with artist John Rush. John lives in Chicago and divides his working life between painting, drawing, and printmaking. John, why don't you tell me about how you first got into art? I am going to assume that this is something that you got turned on to as a child, but uh, if you could just tell me where that all started for you. Childhood, yes, and um, I uh, decided I needed to make a living, so I went to uh, school to become an industrial designer, which I did for some time, but quickly realized that uh, really all, all I want to do is uh, draw pictures. So, Hold on one I, second. So an industrial designer, um, that is, ab about what time frame was that, that you were making that decision? Uh, that's when I uh, went to college, I went to school uh, at the University of Cincinnati in the industrial design program and uh, worked for a while as an industrial designer, but quickly realized that uh, all I re really wanted to do is paint. So I went out to art center and uh, got uh, prepared to be an illustrator. Okay, so industrial designer, um, that was, how does one decide that that's what they're going to do? That sounds a bit of a somewhat obscure uh, thing to study. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not really to me, but I think for a lot of people it would be. Uh, I mean, I have a degree in plastics engineering, so I'm very comfortable with with studying things that aren't uh, the standard. So can yeah. you just tell me about how you got to the point that that is what you thought you wanted to do? Possibly because for the same reasons you went into plastics engineering. Um, I like uh, I like machines and uh, industrial designers uh, do a lot of visual aspects of uh, designing the machines as well as human interface and so forth. So it's an interesting profession and I thought it would be a lot of fun. And uh, it would be, except that I have a compulsion to uh, draw and paint. So the compulsion overruled all other aspects in my psyche and as a result, uh, I became an illustrator. Now, were you, obviously you were doing drawing and painting before you went into college. Um, was that something that was a big part of our, high school? Like, were you taking a lot of art classes or was it something that you were kind of doing on your own? Uh, yes, I was a high school cartoonist and worked for the yearbook and all that sort of thing. Um, to trace back my early art career, and this may have happened to you and many other people. Um, I, as a child, drew flat pictures, uh, no atmospheric perspectives. I remember this uh, happened to me when I was about I would guess about 10. One day I was drawing a uh, jet fighter, which I love to do, with one wing up. Uh, you're looking at the fuselage from the side. One wing is going straight up, one wing is going straight down. So you could draw the markings on it, the US Air Force markings. And I suddenly realized, this isn't the way planes really look. The, 
the wings are not like that. They're foreshortened. Of course, I didn't know that word at the time. I have to draw these wings differently. I can't draw them anymore. I would like to draw them flat, but now I realize I cannot do it because it's not right. And that was an epiphany for me that I was not a child in the same way that I used to be. And that I, even though I enjoyed the way children drew, I couldn't draw that one. <laughs> I would have to change. And I, <laughs> I struggled with it. I, I drew wings that looked correct, but they didn't have the markings on. I couldn't draw the machine guns like I used to. And I was so upset that I went back to the old ways for a while. And I couldn't do that either because uh, it didn't look right. So I, I knew I couldn't go back. I had to go forward. And from then on, I really started to think about how things exist in three-dimensional space and have been uh, struggling with that ever since. That is an incredible story. How old were you when that happened? I think about 10. And I think this happens to a lot of people, um, even people who are non-artists. I think children get to the they draw in a completely intuitive way until they, their brain registers the fact that things really aren't quite like that and that they actually exist in a spatial pattern that is more complex. And when they encounter that in their brains, they think, forget it. I'm going I'm to go on to Facebook or something. I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's too complicated. So I, I have the feeling that, that that happens to a lot of people. I think that story has a lot of parallels in many areas of people's lives in learning something new. Um, you kind of think of things in a simplistic way. And then as you stick with it, you realize, oh, there's more to this. This is more complex. This is more difficult. And you have to kind of make a decision whether you want to move forward, whether you want to quit, where you want to stick with the way that you're doing when you know that you're not um, doing it the best that it can be. Like, I think that model that you uncovered as a 10-year-old, specifically about writing, is like a, a process and a model that happens throughout our lives. I think so. I think you're right, exactly. And uh, if you choose to ab abandon what you're thinking about, uh, it can simplify your life. On the other hand, if you choose to continue to pursue the subject matter that you have now discovered is more complex, um, as you say, the world becomes greatly expanded uh, in its possibilities and its complexities. And uh, you see yourself as a much smaller object in the uh, realm that you're dwelling in. And uh, I think that feeling has been very consistent with me since I was about 10. I don't feel much different now than I did then. It's still uh, a vast universe that I understand very little about art. And I'm still trying to uh, get it figured out. So do you think that is a good thing or a bad thing that you have that feeling about being kind of a small part in a complex system? Uh, it's a necessary feeling if you really are taking seriously what you're trying to explore and, and master. Uh, you have to realize that uh, it's, well, at least, uh, I don't know how it is in other fields, science or uh, economics and so forth, but uh, 
in art, it's uh, necessary to realize that uh, your endeavors are, um, you're limited in what you're going to be able to do. And I think that's a great motiva motivator in pursuing the art of mastery of, of what you're attempting to do in art. Uh, it's always elusive. It's always out ahead of you. You can never grasp it. And if you don't realize that, I don't think you're ever going to get really very good at it. So there's a couple ideas that you brought up that I wanted to explore. Um, so one of them is this idea of, it's almost like you can never master it. I know that yoga is something, um, I don't know if you do yoga, but yoga is a, uh, a practice that I do. And really it's not something that you are doing with the intention of mastering it. And like you basically finish the yoga course and now you can do everything. You, you never will. Like it's all about um, growing and being comfortable where you are and how there's always an opportunity to learn and grow more. I feel the same way about painting for me. And I'm so grateful that I have this thing that from till the day that I die, I'm never going to run out of opportunities for growth with painting and create, you know, in creating artwork. Um, so I think that I'm very, you know, I look at it in a sense of gratitude. I don't look at it as like, oh my God, I'm, I'm never going to master this. I'm freaking out. Why am I doing this? Um, wh what do you think about that, that, that idea that I just presented? I agree completely. Um, yes, it is a, you realize, you come to a, a realization that it is, um, even though you've dedicated your life and all your energy to this, um, it is just merely a matter of exploration. Um, you'll never master it, but you, um, um, you're going to have a lot of uh, fun and excitement, I think, exploring it. Um, and sometimes another thing I think about this too, this occurred to me some years ago. Um, sometimes I think the only real advantage I have had in becoming an artist in life is that since I'm a practitioner, I can appreciate how great the greatest artists really are. I think if I were not an artist, I don't think I could really appreciate what kind of achievements they have been able to develop in their work. And so um, <laughs> sometimes I think that is really the, the main accomplishments I've, I've achieved. Is that you have insight as to how great some artwork is? Yeah, uh -huh. and uh, this is probably true in every field of uh, endeavor. So um, I don't. I, tr I try not to dwell on that point, though. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's occurred to me. Okay. So one thing about what we do that is a bit different. If you are in a, a different field whatsoever, like let's say if you're a doctor. Um, and you're trying to master that, that field is always changing because they're always introducing new um, technologies, new medical techniques. Also the entire, you know, you're dealing with a system like a healthcare system that's constantly changing and evolving. So it, you're in a um, sort of a dynamic environment. Whereas what we do um, isn't so much because it, uh, I, I don't think, I don't know, what, what, what's your thought on that? Do you feel like the, the uh, you know, 
compared to that example I gave with a doctor in the medical field, do you feel like what we're doing is a little bit more static and it's more of like an internal um, mastering type thing? Uh, if you want to put it in extremes, on one extreme, you have visual perception and it never changes. Um, human beings, the visual perception we have now is the same visual perception people who lived in caves had. On the other extreme, you have uh, always changing social fashion, which dictates subject matter, and also um, development of new technology to make art, which changes. So yep. you have uh, both the, con the absolute consistent way the art works, and then you have this uh, change in subject matter, interest in society, subject matter, and um, ways to make the art. But um, I think unlike science, which is progressive, always builds on the, the base of what existed before, art is cyclical. Um, visually, art rotates between round and flat. You see it in the Egyptian era, it was flat. In the classical era, it was round. I'm talking about Western art now. Yep. In the medieval period, it was flat. In the modern era, uh, in the, uh, let's say the Baroque, the Renaissance, it became round again. Uh, latest fashion, it's flat again. So you have a, a cycle on how it's expressed in visual art and painting. I'm, thinking of especially because that's what I do. So that cycles around and probably subject matter probably cycles around too. Uh, what's what's fashionable. So it it is unlike science and it, it is going around and round whether it's where science is going uh, I think uh, more or less in a uh, sustained direction. Okay, great. That was a great answer. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. It may be, you know, I don't know. It's possible in the psyche that we need things that are both. We need things that progress and we need things that cycle uh, to maintain a, a kind of balance. Yeah, and, uh, I, so, yeah I, agree with, I agree with that. I agree with that based on I'm 52 on, on my 52 years and seeing things. Um, I, on, based on my experience and observations, that makes complete sense. I think if you made that statement to me when I was 25 years old, I wouldn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know there's a lot of that uh, when you're in your 20s. When you're in your 20s, you think you're a pretty good artist too. Well, I wasn't a real good artist. <laughs> I wasn't an I didn't do art when I was in my 20s. I was I was an artist. Uh, I was an artsy kid with all sorts of artistic confidence when I was very, very young, up until about fifth grade. Um, and then I abandoned it. And um, I pursued the sciences. Uh, because oh. I thought that artistic stuff was trivial. I was like picked on a little bit for it, not a lot, but a little bit. And I really loved math and science. And I also knew that you could guarantee money with math and science. So I had a huge gap um, where I was not producing any visual design. I would say that the way my brain, my brain 
process things always had a a creative uh, and in um verbally you know a creative aspect to it but i didn't start expressing it you know in visual arts until i don't know probably the last 15 years or so but um well, that's an interesting bounce back. Uh, I don't know what that would feel like. I had a mild version with industrial design, but with you, it's probably more extreme. Yeah. I want to talk about illustration. Um, I think that, tell me about what, what, that is, what that was when you got into it. Um, I know that right now, illust there's illustration. I think a lot of it, I feel, could be, you know, using digital tools. So tell me about what that what that was when you got into it and what was it about it that you, you know, why you wanted to pursue that? Well, uh, as we've talked about, when you're going to paint a painting, you have two decisions to make. What is the subject? And the second decision is how are you going to interpret that subject? If you're an illustrator, generally speaking, you're given the subject. So you have a fixed answer to the first question. What you do is interpretation, almost all interpretation. And that interpretation is different from everything you're going to illustrate, each different story or um, I've done some mural work. You're, you're trying to ex express a generalized idea of what's happening in a, in a time and place. Each problem is different. It's a, it's a uh, almost like a detective story. Um, you have to analyze what it is that is the essential in this and express it clearly to a wide audience that is uh, not art connoisseurs. They, they, they have to pick up on it immediately. It's a very difficult problem to do well. And uh, for that reason, I always enjoyed it very much. If you're painting, let's say for a gallery, um, you can pick the subject matter, but you tend to get boxed into a, uh, I don't know, many people get boxed into an area that uh, of things they can sell, and they tend yeah. to repeat that a lot. And um, I always thought that wasn't quite as much fun. So also the illustrators were the people who could really draw. <laughs> right. They were the keeper of the flame. And uh, so I thought that was good because I like to draw. So that's why I became an illustrator and I had a lot of fun doing it. I um, got involved in some very good projects and uh, I liked history and mythology and got to do some of that. And uh, so it's been enjoyable, but uh, now I'm painting. When you were an illustrator and somebody else was selecting the subject matter for you, did you feel like you were missing out on something or were you annoyed in any way? I don't know, annoyed isn't the right way, but like, did you feel that there was a, a big part of the creativity that was being removed because you were given a subject? Well, like in a lot of professions, I think slowly as you get better and develop a reputation, you can become more selective in what you decide to work on. And so I was, as I got older, especially when I got in my late 30s and 40s, I was picking things more specifically that I wanted to do. They didn't always pay the most money, mm. but they were the projects that I liked more. So eventually, uh, I got doing things pretty much that I liked. 
but it's certainly as you're starting out, I mean, you're doing everything you can get your hands on to, to make a living. And I'll tell you, though, that was a great discipline. I really learned a lot about how to think clearly, simply, how to execute well, quickly, and get it done, get it down, and make it look um, understandable. And I think that's what a lot of artists who have never had that experience suffer from. So um, they suffer from what? Uh, lack of technical skill, lack of how to draw a hand in uh, any perspective, um, a lack of clarity in presenting an idea to people visually, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of feel like um, a big part of being an excellent illustrator would be, and I'm not an illustrator, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, is being able to bring things down to the most simple, the simplest level and to the simplest form and the simplest shapes and not overcomplicating things. Um, is that, what do you think of that statement? Absolutely. Uh, simplicity. Of course, that's true in painting too. Also the ability to um, draw the viewer into the um, story. There are almost all stories of one sort or the other to draw the viewer in to make them interested in what's happening. And that's true in probably lots of art forms, writing and uh, filmmaking and so forth, and certainly true in illustration. And that is a very elusive kind of talent, not necessarily connected with drawing things in atmospheric perspective correctly. It's, uh, it's more of an amorphic uh, idea and hard to define, but uh, we certainly can see it in the work of the great illustrators. So um, you draw people in, they become interested, and then you can, uh, let's say you're illustrating a book, you're doing a series, uh, they'll follow you anywhere if they like uh, what you're showing them. So this concept of storytelling and drawing people in, um, I feel like that is a different part of the brain and something that's probably harder to teach. The technical aspects of drawing is probably much more straightforward in being able to, you know, train someone with just putting in, a, you know, a certain amount of hours and years, et cetera. But that other part of it, I feel like that is really maybe the true creativity. Um, well, it's part of it. Okay. And um, it's uh, what you might call the psychic part of the creative aspect. And so how do you draw people in? Um, I think uh, the easiest way to draw them in is pick subjects as an illustrator that you really like. Yep. That make you, that draw you in, that makes you excited and things that are fun to do and interesting for you to do. And you will convey that enthusiasm and interest in the work that you do. It will be obvious. Mm -hmm. And because you sense this about the subject and uh, you have uh, good technical skills, uh, you're much more likely to create something that will also draw the person in uh, to that feeling of uh, excitement and uh, and uh, enthusiasm and interest in the story. And how you do that 
I think depends on the, pro uh, the subject matter you're working on. There's probably various ways to do it. And you have to find, I think, uh, when you go from project to project, I think you have to find different ways, different ways to do it. It reminds me of like a vocalist who is given a piece of work to sing and she can, she's really connected to the subject matter. Like that is going to come through um, in the quality of the song uh, as opposed to just getting the notes right. Yes. And um, also it has to, follow the spirit of the times and how people are thinking psychically about things. This is something maybe people are not aware of consciously, but it does cycle around. Um, so as, if, for example, uh, as we were talking about, I'm working on um, a series of paintings from Homer's Odyssey. But what I'm really interested in is his relationship with four women, his wife, Penelope, his uh, Calypso, a goddess who imprisons him for seven years on her island. Uh, Calypso, uh, Circe, who is a sorceress, turns his crew into pigs. And Athena, who's his, a very, the most powerful goddess, maybe except for Hera, his uh, champion and supporter throughout this uh, 10 year journey back to uh, Greece from uh, the Trojan War. This is a very, very old story. So I'm starting from a fixed point, as I told you with illustration. It's a known story. I'm not making the story up. All I'm doing is an interpretation. Uh, and I've done a series of paintings on Odysseus, the hero of the story, in relationship to these women, or just paintings of the women. And it occurred to me, after I'd been working on this for about two or three years, that I'm actually doing a series on the Me Too movement. Even though I didn't realize it, I think that's what I'm sort of doing. These are all very powerful women, strong women. And I think I'm operating, I'm interpreting elements of this very, very old story to express the ideas that exist now about the our current thinking about women. Sounds even like an I wasn't even aware of it. Yeah, it sounds like an example of art cycling. Mm-hmm. Art cycling, yes. Yeah, I'm starting to realize, like, doing this podcast, I have all these conversations with people that it's almost like there is a limited set of conversations that you have and topics. Like, it ends up a lot of being the same ideas um, when I talk with people. And it kind of relates to what you're just saying, like this that's probably one of the first stories that was ever recorded. And it's kind of the same, it's revealing itself as being a story that's currently happening. Um, and that's been um, on a smaller set, my experience with having these fairly intimate conversations with people on my podcast, that it tends to be a lot of the same ideas and stories and challenges and experiences, regardless of what someone is doing, um, it's kind of just repeated. It's a bit of a surprise to me. Well, uh, maybe as we sink down lower into the uh, base of the psyche, uh, we get, it's like going down into a cup of coffee. The, at the bottom, it tends to, uh, the, the surface 
uh, of the object you're sinking down into tends to rotate down into a single bottom. <laughs> and uh, maybe uh, as we drift down, we get more and more uh, general and more and more universal. And uh, maybe that's maybe that's an indication you're having good conversations. I think so. <laughs> I want to talk about something that you mentioned that you were into as a kid, um, which is, um, and I, I think you said cartoons. And I know that you were, you know, an illustrator. What is your thought on cartooning as an art form and and what i'm thinking of is what specifically walt disney and i don't know if that if he if has any influence on you or you have any opinion on that um, a lot of um the people that i've talked to who are visual artists were inspired by walt disney um obviously he was an animator he made like the first full length um animated movie snow white which was great was a crazy idea at the time um do you have any opinion on him as an artist uh, my opinion of snow white is it's one of the great uh pieces of artwork of the 20th century it's just a unbelievably beautiful piece of work and i think the difficulty one of the difficulties is you you've got to get a bunch of people who are all operating at the same level of imagination, skill, um, and at the same time to create this thing. And that is completely beyond my comprehension of how you could do something like that. But yes, uh, the, the level that they achieved at Disney uh, was absolutely extraordinary. And I think they really managed to keep their uh, quality of work up very, very high even into the modern age of, uh, of digital, uh, digital films. So. so I want to go back to Snow White. Uh, one thing that I recently realized about that, it was the first full-length animated film. But when people saw that movie, it was the first time that it had caused a response that wasn't like funny. Because animated stories were to entertain people and make them laugh. And in Snow White, you know, she dies, not to give away the spoiler alert, but, um, you know, and it's very sad and, you know, there's tears. And making the audience in a movie theater cry with an animated film, like that had never been done before. And no one had even thought of the concept of using animation to get that response out of uh, people. Yes, it had been done in still paintings for hundreds of years and thousands probably, but not in moving, uh, not in moving pieces of art. So he um, elevated cartoons into what you might call illust true illustration, which, which the artists had been doing for hundreds of years, depicting the stories of uh, our times, portraits, uh, our religion, all told to our societies through still images and then he is now uh, turning those those still illustrations into a moving piece of artwork so it was a big big leap you're right big big leap in uh, in in how in what art is yep he was definitely a uh, a visionary on so many levels can we talk about what you are working on now what do you have? 
on um, the front burner, back burner. Yeah, okay, you can see uh, right in the back there, I've got a picture of Odysseus. He's uh, speaking of these strong women. Um, in the story, Athena comes to Odysseus all the time, about every three pages. She makes him younger, stronger, more handsome, possibly more intelligent, I can't remember, but she's always propping this guy up. So um, I'm trying to depict that by uh, a long horizontal painting. Odysseus is laying, he's not laying down, but he's uh, sitting down, propped up by his arms, holding his upper torso up. And Athena is in the distance approaching him standing. So that's the work in progress painting, or is that the completed? That's a, that's a completed one. And yeah. uh, so I'm trying to suggest that even though this guy is the hero, and he is an extraordinary person, he's the guy that actually figured out after 10 years of war with the Trojans, I mean, the Greeks were, they'd had it, they were going to go home. He said, no, let's try one more thing. Let's come up with this horse idea. We put some soldiers in it, and they'll take it into the gates. Sure enough, it worked. So he's a smart guy. But uh, my interest here is to show these women who existed in this story who are also uh, extraordinary. And uh, there's some very interesting, I think the most poetic thing I have run across in this entire story is when he's in prison on the island of Calypso and she keeps him there, she's deeply in love with him. Uh, he's coming back from the Trojan War, his ship gets blown over there and he's he's there on the island she keeps him there seven years and he is and she says to him stay with me i will make you immortal i will always be young and beautiful you will always be young and handsome this island will always be idyllic and we can live this way for eternity and he says no i want to go back to my wife and family I want to grow old as a mortal, a mortal and die. And so um, she finally takes pity on him and lets him go. But I just thought that was a particularly poetic story. So I try to get that, put some of that into these series. Okay. Now, do you have, uh, is this set of work going to have a, a home? Or are you going to be in a gallery? Like, how are you? Um, how do you get your artwork out to the rest of the world? Yes, um, I've had galleries, a gallery in New York and a gallery in Chicago, both of which are closed. So when I get enough inventory build up here, I'm going to go out and see if I can find a gallery or somebody else who can help uh, sell this stuff for me. Otherwise, I'm going to have to, I don't have room enough to store it, so I'd have to burn it. So we'll start <laughs> with the selling. Uh, 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 remedy space problem first. Okay. And do you ever sell it directly yourself? Uh, you mean on the internet or something like that? Or yeah, no, no, I haven't, I haven't pursued that actually. I'm, I've got too much to uh, think about right now in regard to making it. I'm going through a period of uh, trying to up, improve my work, make it more abstract. Um, and, um, it's consuming me completely. I'm throwing a lot of stuff in the trash. And um, so I'm kind of obsessed with that. And uh, when I get enough, I'll, I'll turn to the business aspect of, uh, of art. How is that part of the process for you when you're shifting your style 
or your approach and making things more abstract and you're having to throw things out. Is that upsetting or is that just something you know is part of the experience of being a painter? Um, you know, I'm sure you know this too. Eventually as an artist, you have a detector in your brain. Um, Hemingway referred to it as a shit detector. And you know right away uh, when you get old enough and have been doing it long enough that what you're doing is, is not going to work. It's never going to work. So you got to stop. And then you got to start over. And that's one thing I really enjoy about having experience as an artist. That has become crystal clear to me uh, in a way that was not when I was younger. I would work and I would struggle on these paintings and they would never look right. Would... Now you get to uh, stage two and you realize, no, no good, stop. You got to stop. So uh, it's always upsetting when I can't make brilliant artwork. But on the other hand, I, I realize it's just a process. You try something that doesn't work, you go to the next thing. But when you're actually trying to think, particularly when you get older, you're trying to actually change the way you work, you realize that the wiring inside of your brain, all the art wiring is set up in concrete. And you've got to jackhammer that concrete out, or at least a lot of it, to make even a modest change in how you work. Uh, it's amazing how the circuitry is just locked in place. So that's been very interesting to, uh, to tamper around with. But I think I'm making progress. Yeah, I know that um, you kind of rewire your brain in a certain way um, when you're doing something for a long time and repetitively and you're kind of in the same mindset thought patterns and kind of painting is kind of a thought pattern. It's like a, a, a pattern of observation, changing what you're doing and responding to that. It's kind of like this, this circuit, um, a loop. And uh, I mean, would you, would you agree with that? And it sort of hardwires your brain in a certain way. Yes. Uh -huh. Very interesting. And uh, it's uh, maddening. You've become a kind of a slave to your own, uh, your own past self. The wiring is a, is a composite of past experience. And it's and, uh, in some ways you feel like, well, I'm a prisoner of my own, past personalities. I, it's very difficult for me to become something different. And, and why? Nobody's telling me I can't. No, it's my own self that I'm trying to destroy and replace with something new. One thing I tell people um, is, you know, you need to be careful about where you put your brain and how you how, how you see the world and how you think about things because you are teaching your brain what, you know, what the world is like and what you're like and how you relate to it. So you need to be really careful um, because you're going to end up in concrete and you want to make sure that you're in concrete <laughs> in a place that is good. Uh, yes, because that's, because yes. if you are, if, if you are thinking about things in a non-productive way for a really long time, um, you're going to get st yourself stuck in that way. So you got to keep it, you got to be really careful. Yes, I agree. And that's a lesson you learn later, I think, after you've already set up in concrete. Um, well, as you were mentioning about uh, economic prospects of being an artist and uh, how difficult that is, there's a million ways to fail as an artist. I don't know if there's a million ways to fail in other professions, but the ways, the possibilities of failing as an artist are almost limitless. Um, falling 
broadly into two categories. One is economic failure and the other is artistic failure. And um, they are both limitless. So if, if you can overcome both and be at least a competent artist and able to support yourself, I think it's, uh, it's an achievement. But hey, we're only here for a short time in life. Uh, why not uh, experiment, take chances? Uh, it's a lot more fun. I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, is there any tips or advice you can give to people that are listening to this podcast? I think of people that are listening to this um, oftentimes are looking to use creativity um, in their lives and um, maybe listening to this podcast um, to people that are embracing the creative part of their mind in their lives. And uh, are there any tips you could give, give them? Well, I don't know if I can give any general tips on creativity, but in regard to, um, let's say in regard to becoming an artist of any sort, whether you're a musician or writer or a ballet dancer, I think my feeling about this, at least in my experience, is that I never really made a decision to do it or not. If you're thinking, well, I don't know if I should be an artist or I should go into real estate, uh, and you're kind of back and forth, I don't think you have to worry about it so much. I think something outside of you will tell you that you're going to be an artist. And uh, if you listen to that thing, it will, uh, it will take over, at least that's been my experience. It takes over the brain. It says, here's what you're going to do, uh, whether you want to do it or not. And so you better get to work. And then you can suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune because you're so driven to this uh, compulsive activity. It's really a compulsion. Uh, and, and it helps you endure it. And if you don't really feel that, um, maybe it's probably, it's a possibly better idea to go into real estate or something else. Okay. Uh, in any case, I think fundamentally it is not a real decision that you make. Okay. That makes sense. Well, John, thank you very much for talking with me. This was a great conversation. Well, thank you for asking. It was a pleasure. You're very welcome. Um, where can people learn more about or see your artwork and what you're up to? Uh, my website is johnrushart.com. And that's got my prints, illustrations, and paintings, drawings that I'm working on uh, currently, and some old stuff too. So you can evaluate the uh, pr progression or lack of progression uh, of the artist there. You have a great name, John Rush. It is simple and that's, that's a good name. It's a, that's a good name for anything, whether you're an artist or a politician. Uh, it uh, was useful in signing work because, uh, you know, it's only eight letters. So if I had a name like Schwarzenegger, you know, we'd, we'd be spending a lot longer getting the signature on there. Yeah, well, I've, I'm, I have this weird last name, McEachran, and people are always, they can't pronounce it. And, they, you know, I'm always having to, like, explain it, and it's very annoying. But, yeah, you have a, uh, the fact that it's uh, eight letters. That's fantastic. Yes. Well, you don't get, uh, you get assigned a name, so you can't, uh, you can't uh, choose it. It might actually be better to have a 
maybe a maybe two or three number sequence or a three letter sequence might might be even better. But uh, can you name your child with a number? Is that I legal? Think, That's uh, not. That can't be. It seemed to me that in the 1960s there was a slight. I heard about some people doing that just to be unconventional as because that was stylish. Um, but I don't really have any memory of, of it very clearly, but I think it actually did happen. So if you ever run into somebody who's middle-aged named, uh, 237, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you may have met one of those people. All right. All right. Well, thank you, John. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.